The lumpy 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 Hi, I'm Sarah Stark. And I'm Natalie Mills. And you are listening to The Lumpy Mother, the podcast where we show up for our kids by showing up for ourselves. We are definitely not experts. We're just two best friends and moms who love learning and laughing together. I have four kids, an eight-year-old daughter, and three sons who are seven, six, and almost two. And I have two kiddos, a 10-month-old son and an almost three-year-old daughter. So if you want to know that you're not the only parent who can recite every Disney Junior theme song word for word, (laughs) you have definitely come to the right space. The way this works is each week, Sarah and I will have a yes, a no, and a hello for the week. Or in other words, we'll have something good, something bad, and something random that has to do with what's on our minds after another week surviving parenthood. And Natalie and I have a feeling, an inkling, so to say, that uh, (laughs) you will be able to relate to our experiences. But if you can't relate, definitely tell us about it. You can email us at lumpymotherpodcast at gmail.com. We want to know what you think about the topics that we cover. So rewinds, Natalie. I I don't have a rewind so much as a... Just really proud of my daughter's joke timing. And I want to tell you a <gasps> really? joke. Yes, I was okay. I was really impressed. So today, okay. Evie and I were like, like playing on the floor and cuddling. I was like, Do you know how much I love you? I love you so much. Even when you're mad or even when you're silly, I love you when you're mm-hmm. whatever. We do that all the time. And then I was like, What do you think? And Evie goes, I think. And then she smiles at me and looks at me poo-poo bubbles and then she <laughs> farted and then she farted like the timing was impeccable because we call farts poo-poo bubbles i mentioned before and it was like the most beautiful timing on that kid dude like i was that's really amazing. impressed yeah so that's not a yeah. rewind but uh, just a fun fact how about you do you that's have any rewinds amazing. i don't think so i'm going to be totally honest though i can't remember a single thing that i talked about last what did we talk about so, nightmares oh, i can't nightmares. remember i don't but it was more of like a story that tied really well into your nightmares oh yeah that's true actually that is kind of true so one of my topics today is going to be a little bit about that we're gonna kind of continue that conversation a little bit yes. so uh, I guess excited. my rewind will technically come later. So oh, cool. that puts us right into our yes. Is Sarah your first this week? My yes is screen time. All right. Going to get a little controversial <laughs> here. And it ended up being super fascinating about the benefits of screen time. Uh, mm. So I want to start this off by saying, you know, in our home, like we try not to do too much screen time. I understand, like, it's not mm-hmm. healthy to sit a kid in front of the screen all the yeah. time, all day. Definitely not. But I do want to help myself and hopefully help others feel a little less guilty about the screen time we do give, especially yeah. giving it in the middle of a pandemic. One of the yes. articles I came across was talking about how it's increased for everybody because it's had to. I mean, you yeah. know, it's just you got to do what you got to do right now. We're not able to go anywhere still. Half of our lives right now are on screens, whether it's work or school. You know, the kids were home for school and they'd automatically spend four hours a day on a screen yeah. because all of their school 
work is there. It's virtual learning. So if, yeah. Yeah. So if you're working from home, all of your meetings are on a screen. I feel like it's just inevitable right now right. that it's going to happen. And or if you work what, from home and you have kids, yeah. their kids have to be entertained. Yeah. So, I mean, what we need to teach them is like the ability probably to curb the screen addictions, you know, <laughs> like, like prepare yeah. them for that, uh, which yeah. I work on myself. Honestly, that's difficult. I, like I can feel the itch to grab my phone even when mm-hmm. I'm not near it. Last year for Lent, um, I tried to give up social media and I did it for a few weeks and then the pandemic happened and then it was like it it Uh, kind of ruined all of that. It was amazing to me how much I itched, like you said, kind of itched for my screen when I couldn't pick it up. Anytime I went to the restroom, I would like look for my phone. It was so weird moments like that. become unaccustomed to being bored. Yes, because you yes. always have that entertainment. Before we had cell phones, do you remember like reading the back of shampoo bottles or like, did you ever take a book into the bathroom? <laughs> oh, yeah. We, well, we I think we had magazines in there for that reason. Yeah. Oh, I forgot that was a thing. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, Isn't that my gross gosh. though? It means that everyone else who was pooping in your bathroom was reading the same magazine. Like no, that gross. Now it's me just out, like my poop on the... No, it's yeah. just like... I don't know. <laughs> You're clean your screens though, because they are supposed I to be today. super nasty. Oh, good job! Every so often, I'm like, "Ooh, I really, I've been touching this too much." <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, some positives I thought of um, just off the top of my head before I get into the really interesting research that I I can't wait to share with everybody. Um, <laughs> so we have a built-in babysitter that we can use when we're desperate, which I think is yeah. the best thing. Like if I'm a about to if I feel like I could yell at my kids or could really mm-hmm. escalate things into a bad situation, it's way better to have screen time than to, you know, emotionally scar my children. So 100%. <laughs> big yes. Benefit. <laughs> number one benefit. And educational shows. Evie learns all sorts of things. I can't think of any examples. Um, but sometimes I'm like, I definitely didn't teach you that. And I don't think mm-hmm. Ben taught you that. You definitely got it from, you know, Coco Melon or or yeah. whatever little Einsteins. That was a big like little oh, in- Einsteins yeah. teaches you about art and music and instruments. It was like fancy education, not Abby, just alphabet like stuff. Yeah. Yes. When she's- okay. So those are like the two positive things I could find. And then I found so one thing on this one's called like uh, this website was called Nemers.org. Positives were the educational value. Um, and then, like you were saying, like school-related homework and research and mm-hmm. like tutorial videos. I mean, we have yes. and when used when used well, the internet is just a wealth of knowledge waiting to be opened. It's a it's a resource. Yeah, it's an amazing yeah. resource, and we all have the key. Mm-hmm. We can learn whatever we want. Of course, mm-hmm. being yes, I do watch nonstop reels and whatever all the TikTok <laughs> videos you send me because they're amazing. <laughs> when I want to go back to like, because the reason I think of this is. Every time I go in to see my doctor, she suggests, you know, two hours a day at most after they're two years old. And some days Evie gets more than that. Some days she gets a lot less. And we try to keep Mm -hmm. it less when we can. And some days like today, we're just trying to get things done around the house. So all she did was watch watch TV. And that's okay. Like, yes, it can be both here and there. You know, I had this thought yesterday 
I realized that like anytime someone comes to our house, they must always think that all that our kids do is watch TV because whenever someone's walks in the door, our kids are watching TV because I can guarantee you we've just spent the last six hours cleaning and the only way to keep the house clean is to put them in front of the TV. Yes. And so anytime, they don't really watch that much, but anytime people come over, they're always on, that makes, on the couch. That makes so much sense, though, because you're trying to get your house clean so it looks nice, but then they just think your kid, like, you can't win because yes. then they just think your kids watch TV all day. Yeah. <laughs> now they're part of the cleaning process. So it's like they clean with us for a few yes. hours and then they get to sit on the it's Oh, board, that but. sounds like a nice age. So that's some of the benefits from this article. And this is also from Nemers.com. And then this is the negatives. And I was surprised because... Like, they're bad, but it sounds like you'd have to really be extreme. Like, hmm. your kids only watch TV yeah. for this to occur. Like, because children, this this article says children who get too much screen time are more likely to become obese, which, first of all, there are so many factors. I definitely think, like, doing nothing and, I guess, and you don't go outside and your parents just say, watch TV. I think... Yeah, I was just going to say, I think we have to remember that there are a lot of different versions of screen time. And so video games is a big one, right? Because kids can do video games for a whole Saturday. You know, I think that's kind of normalized at this point where that's their only kind of hobby or pastime. Yeah. Um, Well, that's what I also found is it's worse for older kids than it is younger kids. Mm. Because the older they get in reference in regards to TV... The less likely they are to watch educational TV shows. Oh, yeah. And the more likely they are to play, like, violent video games and watch shows um, that are not good. This says, children who get too much screen time, this is the negatives, become obese, Mm -hmm. (laughs) exhibit aggressive behavior, I can see that, engage in risky behavior, make unhealthy food choices seen in commercials for high-sugar, high-calorie food and drinks, (laughs) I mean... That's just American culture, though. So I thought that was really interesting. So here's some more of the benefits, which I found super interesting. Definitely debatable. Definitely open for debate um, and discussion. But I just thought presenting the other side, I keep saying this, but presenting the other side is really interesting because we don't hear this side. Mm -hmm. So this one is um, benefits of screen time. And this is from highspeedinternet.com. But there's... Just it's all like quotes from experts. And this is from Jessica Leichtweiss. She's CEO of Hope Education Services and an autism expert. And her quote is this. While many professionals suggest that screen time is bad for children, it can, in fact, have many positive benefits. For example, young children often learn their letters, numbers, colors and shapes from watching YouTube videos. Almost all research suggests that the early use of technology is highly beneficial to children. It appears that most of the debate around the use of technology is nothing more than a generational and cultural gap. So Hmm. definitely rife for discussion there. Really interesting, though. Yeah. Like, like Mm -hmm. if if I was... if I was being that perfect parent I had idealized before becoming an actual parent, we would never watch TV. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And Evie didn't until, I mean, really. And when she did, the little she did when she was a baby and really young, I felt I had horrible guilt about it. 
I remember you calling me one day and because you you had to like justify that it was Sesame Street and you're like, well, I, it's educational. And I was like, Sarah, it's not a big deal if she watches 30 minutes. You were like, yeah. I just think I'm going to turn it on so I can drink some coffee. <laughs> I was yeah. like, this is we need to calm this expectation down. You got to <laughs> thank like, you. Let yourself oh, live I've a little way bit. down since. But yeah, <laughs> I like I think that's part of the hard transition into motherhood is like you really. Uh, I mean, I set some very unrealistic expectations. Yeah for myself and didn't give myself much grace at all you know so this same um person jessica we'll just call her jessica um Hmm. her she has another quote parents should carefully monitor what their children are watching and consider a tablet specifically designed for children uh that limits what content they can access to Mm child-friendly educational material so it's Mm -hmm. not so much screen time is what they're as as what they're watching in the content. I think that's a great point. And then back to what we've been saying this whole time. This is from Len Saunders. He's an author and a spokesperson. The key to anything is moderation. Know your limits and listen to your body. If your eyes are fatiguing, then take some time to break away. So this is from Very Well Family, which is one we quote a lot. They have a lot of great stuff. Too much screen time is definitely negative. And the older the kids... Mm-hmm the less likely it is that they're, what they're watching is educational, like I mentioned. Um, reducing screen time for older kids means improved grades, decreased BMI, and improved sleep. And I can I can see that. So, yeah, that's basically, I just wanted to give the other side of things because I think we hear the no, no screen time, no, no. Yeah, I just think it's such a, and even, because my kids are kind of, they have started to grow out of that, like, informational kind of TV show. Sometimes we do, like, Discovery Channel kind of stuff, but, you know, we're, we're past a lot of the like letters and colors and that thing. And so when we watch really creative problem solving shows, like to, I guess this could absolutely just be me justifying this, but in my head, it's like, no, this is not only is this a really creative outlet, which my kids kind of use then when they're playing with Legos to create these worlds and all this, whatever, but Mm -hmm. it's also, it shows you a group of people working together to solve a problem. And so I loved that. That was, I just, I think we always need reasons to give ourselves grace and to not Mm -hmm. feel so guilty all of the time. And this is exactly one of those things. It's like bringing us back to the middle because I think it's so easy for, for speaking personally, and I think this will relate Mm -hmm. to a lot of people to go, to swing to one extreme of this is how I, what I have to do to be a great mother. But it's so, it's, there's so, so much room for great motherhood yeah. it's not na- yes. as narrowly defined as i think absolutely we end up perceiving absolutely. It. so all right you ready for my yes yes so my yes this week as i you obviously you and i are very similar in this way and i think we've mentioned this before is um i love to read you love to read yeah um we're we do a book club with nora who we've also mentioned many times yeah. hi nora <laughs> no- Nora's the like invisible member. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> um, she's become our producer in our group text. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I love to read, and but sometimes when you have little kids, it's kind of hard to find that time to do so. So sometimes my favorite books are short books that have either a really uncomplex theme through it or storyline, something that's easy to follow. Um, so what I did, I picked five of my favorite books, three hundred pages or smaller 300 page book is pretty small and um it's like if you're thinking of a novel or a chapter book of any kind and so um i picked five books that are are all under 300 pages that i zipped through 
not because I'm a fast reader or anything or because I had all this free time, just because it was interesting enough that maybe I chose it over TV or, you know, it was just, yes. it was a really easy to read. You it's, do. You have to choose it over TV. That's yes. how I get my reading in if I don't exactly. you know if I'm going to read. That's the yeah, secret. That's so true. They were all, these are all books that for the most part you can set down regularly and come back to, like you're not going to forget parts of it or whatever. This is a great idea. I love it. So the first one. This is an artist that I absolutely love, um, David Sedaris. And I just finished one of his earlier books and it was interesting. Some of the language was a little bit dated, which surprised me from him. And I didn't yeah. enjoy it as much. But the one that I read, the, this is the first book of his that I ever read. I really love him. It's called Calypso. If you've never read David Sedaris before, he writes, it's almost like reading his diary, which is essentially what he does. He talks about it a lot. He journals every single day and then takes those stories from his journals, from his real life, and he turns them into these short books or these. And he turns like the simplest stories into like magic and like depth yes. and hel hilarity. It's like, oh, it's, he's, he's he, a, yeah, he's an artist. That's Perfect. He's so funny. And his humor is exactly how my brain works. It's like being unbelievably yeah. honest about yourself in a very sarcastic way. And I do this mm -hmm. a lot when I'm like angry at Nick and I realize that I'm just being really ridiculous with my anger. And it'll be like, well, clearly I need you to never wear shoes again. Like, <laughs> you know, it's just or like, can't you read my mind? Yes. You're not reading my mind right now. Yeah. And that's exactly how David said it's it's like the perfect amount of sarcasm. Um, but they're I mean, they're just so beautifully written. And so Calypso is about the main theme that kind of works through his, this story is um, him and his husband buy a beach house. And it's kind of a little bit about what was going on in his life at that point and a little bit just about the beach house. But I'm telling you, he's so funny because it's like short story style. It's the each chapter is an individual kind of essay. It's really easy to put down and come back to. Yeah. They move, it moves very quickly. Um, it's only 261 pages. If I read the print version, but I really, from now on, I prefer listening because he narrates all of his books. If he you does. Can, oh, mm -hmm. I bet that's good. Yeah. And so I just, I love listening to a book that's read by the author because it just, especially nonfiction, because I don't know, there's something like magical. It makes it so much more personal. I 100% that's Calypso by David Sedaris or almost anything by David Sedaris. I, I, you can't go wrong almost there. So, um, the second one is called Sourdough by Robin Sloan, and it's 272 pages. It's this woman who she works in this um, almost like a Google kind of tech company and is like just works night and day there. And she ends up with this sourdough starter and the sourdough starter <laughs> yes. ends up being almost like a character it's a it's a character in the story so i've heard sourdough starters are very yeah, yeah opinionated yes. you know there's this guy i saw on tv and he started his pizza business with a sourdough start that was like hundreds of years old or something uh -huh. i mean it's like really incredible like you would yeah. think if you didn't know anything about which i know very little about how it actually works but if you didn't know anything yeah. about sourdough starters you'd be like how do you write a book on dough? <laughs> that That's it. She she doesn't know anything about it. And she gets the sourdough starter from like these brothers that are kind of like it's it's almost like they're gypsies, kind of like they come from the strange background. And so Ooh, um, so the sourdough has this personality and it's just it's 
really kind of like clever, but lighthearted and fun. You, It's just like her on this kind of adventure and what where that brings her, where the sourdough brings her. Robin Sloan um, wrote another book. I think it was after this, but it's called Mr. Penumbra's 24-Hour Bookstore. Oh, I've read that one. It's very similar. The themes are very similar. It's like, because um, in that one, he works at a tech company and something happens that he ends up in this weird bookstore. And then there's like these strange things that keep happening. And it's the same thing, except it's sourdough and it's bread. Yes. And <laughs> I put this book off forever because I... As I have said, literally every episode, I don't like to cook. And I just thought, like, this is not going to interest me. I have no like connection to making bread or anything like that. And I was it, I was just in love. It was so cute. Um, so, yeah. So that's Sourdough by Robin Sloan. And then next up, this is this was one that I read in 2020 as part of kind of like I was trying to include more authors of color, especially female mm-hmm. authors of color. Yeah. And so this is called My Sister, the Serial Killer by I'm going to do my best with this name. Oyinkan Braithwaite. It's 240 pages, so it is very short. And a lot of the chapters are just text exchanges or even emails. Ooh, so very quick. Very, very quick. I think I read it in less than 24 hours. It was just very fast moving. It's, I mean, the title kind of explains it. My Sister, the Serial Killer. It's about this sister um, or this woman whose sister she thinks has killed multiple boyfriends before. So it's fantastic. Like I said, it, it it goes so quickly. It goes so quickly. And if you're kind of trying to add more authors of color to your reading list, this is a really good place to start. The next one is um, nonfiction as well. It's called Will My Cat Eat My Eyeballs? <gasps> Big Questions from Tiny Mortals yes. About Death. It's by Caitlin Dowdy. She wrote a book before this called Smoke Gets in Your Eyes and Other Stories from a Crematorium. The, f- the first book she wrote is also pretty short. The book is kind of her process of like when she was interning through that and what that looked like in that process. But she also talks about... Um, how we as Americans perceive death compared to other cultures and other countries and what is good about what we do with death and what's not so healthy with what we do with death. So that one was really good, but this one is so funny. It's not, it's, I mean, it's, it's covers death, but it's hilarious. So this was her second book. Will my cat eat my eyeballs? Big questions from tiny mortals about death. And in the intro, I hope I'm remembering this correctly. But what happened that was on her last book tour, every so often she would have children in her audience when she'd read. And so she took questions that kids asked her about oh, yes. death and then wrote a book about it. So not only is it extremely scientifically sound because she did all of the research that goes into it. It's questions that like we probably have thought but never admitted we asked. So things like what happens if you die in outer space and will my cat eat my eyeballs? Will my animals eat me if I die in my house? Oh, it's so good. But she it's so sweet. So they're like really almost innocent questions that we've probably all thought before they all came from kids. And she answers them in kind of an emotional way, but also in a very scientific way. That's like, I understand that that would be scary to see. So there, one of them was um, like, why is my grandma wrapped in plastic at her funeral or something uh, like that? Yes. And she was saying like, you know what? That would look really weird. And But they do it because sometimes juices come out. She explains it in a really 
really factual way that makes it so interesting. But she's also still just like before, she's really funny because there's questions like what happens in outer space. She approaches that a little bit with humor. It's so good. It's 240 pages. Once again, that's Will My Cat Eat My Eyeballs by Caitlin Dowdy. <laughs> and then the last one I do, this is another one of my favorite authors, um, Neil Gaiman. And mm. he writes so many good things. But this is called The Ocean at the End of the Lane. It's by Neil Gaiman. It's 259 pages. The TV, I think it's on Amazon Prime, but it's called Good Omens. It's a TV show. Oh. And um, Good Omens is a book that he wrote with Neil or with um, Terry Pratchett. Yeah, Terry Pratchett. It's really long, but it's so funny. It is so funny. Okay, so Neil Gaiman. Um, so the book that the ocean at the end of the lane is so it's fantastic. It's um, it's like a little bit magical, a little bit kind of mystery. There's this um, girl who meets this family and the family has these interesting qualities to them. And then yeah. these things start happening. I love stuff like that. Yeah. And so and it's a really quick read. Um, but it's just a little bit like mystical almost. It's wonderful. Yeah. So House at the End of or the Ocean, the Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman. Fantastic. Super quick and easy read. 259 pages. So those are just some books because I understand as a mom or as a parent in general, it can be so hard to find time to read, especially when sometimes when you want to relax, reading is not always the option. Sometimes binging on TV is the better option. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But when you choose to have that moment to read, these are great options because you can literally you can do 20 minutes a night and not feel like it's taking you forever to get through it. Or like you have to f reread everything because you've forgotten. They're just very simple, very kind of easy. So that's nice. my yes is just some good book suggestions. Yeah. I love getting book suggestions and I love giving mm -hmm. book suggestions. I don't know why. I'm just I think it's so fun. When you came to visit and we went we went to <gasps> Powell City of Books and we spent <sighs> two or three hours there. Yes. And yeah. it was glorious. <sighs> if you want to go to Powell's, go with Natalie because she'll just be like, oh, this is this one and this is this author and this is that. <laughs> and this is oh, and this is the one and this is the one. And you're like, OK. I need I need a notebook. <laughs> Powell's was like a bucket list thing for me. It's something that I needed to do before I died. And I was that was I mean, I was so excited to do that with you because I knew that mm -hmm. like we could go in there and get so into it and spend three hours and it love every single moment. Yeah, yes. I think that's what I'm going to start doing for self-care is like just taking a day to myself to go to Powell's and drink coffee oh, and explore. I love that idea. Yes, me too. It. Speaking of, uh, hey, that's yay. my no things that are not self care. <laughs> what a transition! <laughs> I I just I feel like this kind of ties into what I was talking about on a previous episode about how as moms, there's this expectation that we're supposed to sacrifice so much, and I think wrapped mm -hmm. into that expectation is things have been become and started to become considered self-care that are absolutely not self-care. Yes. Like taking a shower, Ugh. pooping by yourself, yep. running errands. You know, I mean, OK, there are nice things to doing these, like to showering mm -hmm. and not having to worry about a baby crying. It's nice to have privacy to empty your bowels. <laughs> it's nice, yeah. you know, to, to run errands and have a little quiet time in the car. That's nice. Yep. But running errands, it's not me 
relaxing on a beach. I mean, they, no. they don't even come close. So, like, it's not even healthy restoration. It doesn't. It doesn't do anything to make me feel feel like I've recovered <laughs> from my stress. Yeah. I am so happy that we're talking about this because I yeah. almost I started to even write it a few weeks ago. Mine was like, we need to redefine self care, and so I'm so glad you're doing this because I just couldn't figure out how exactly to talk about it. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I don't have too much to say. But I thought we could just kind of dive into like a conversation. You I, know? I, I love it. I think that that's the thing we need to define. It can't be like chores by yourself is not self-care or necessities by yourself are not self-care. Going to the grocery store by myself, that's not self-care. That's a necessity. It's not for me. I'm going to the grocery store to feed other people. I still enjoy going to the grocery store by myself. And it does. I'd rather do that than go with all of my kids. But that yeah. doesn't make that time self-care. Yeah, Just because it's it's easier than with kids doesn't mean it's, you know, great for yes. you. <laughs> or Yeah. Well, I feel like we need self-care needs to be things that you are choosing yourself over other things like in that moment you're prioritizing your mental health like they feed your soul or your mind yeah. or your heart and or your they yes. they nourish nourish you. i love the word you've used nourish a lot when in relation mm -hmm. to self-care but you are nourishing yourself yes. in a way that you want to be nourished <laughs> and it's not you know? it's kind of like not about anyone else you know yes going to the grocery store alone you're doing a thing for the rest of your family which is great it's a necessity but that is not self-care. I don't want to yes. call that self-care. It makes me a little bit angry because it tells me where our priorities are in in our mental health. And like self-care yeah. can't be the grocery store. It can't be. Yeah. It yeah. wouldn't be for anybody else but a mom, it feels like. I or agree. a parent in general. Or, yes. Yeah. Another thing is like everyone's like um, they have to justify it as not being selfish. And then mm -hmm. they, yes. like, um, I come across a lot of it as like, yeah, I think it's important to be a little selfish. Maybe it is a little selfish, you know, like, I, why do we always yes. have to be selfless? How can that be healthy for ourselves? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, let's nourish ourselves. Let's mm -hmm. be a little selfish and be okay with that. Yeah. It's like we almost have to justify self-care as not being selfish because when we nourish ourselves, we're better parents. Like, yes. that's how we have to justify it. Or our yeah. society has to justify it to be allowed for moms. And that just, I think, feeds further into the idea that we have to sacrifice everything to be considered mm -hmm. decent moms, which is just unhealthy. It's so unhealthy. I think Rant. that a lot of times self self-care is used as a way to say, I need to do this by myself or like that's what it turned into, which I really don't love. Yeah. It just basically means like I want to do things alone. I want to sit in this room alone for a little bit. And so we call that self-care when really it's just you having a healthy boundary with something. So you seriously, the grocery store one makes me really angry, which is why I just keep bringing it up because. Yeah, absolutely. Going to the, it's the worst. So like. Going to the grocery store alone, that's not self-care. That's you setting a boundary for something. You know, I think yes. that we have to create, there's a different language. And so I think it's just like, we didn't know how to explain that. I just don't want a kid with me all of the time and it doesn't make me a bad mom. So we kind of put this self-care title on there, which is, which is yes. fine. You know, it's what we, I think for a lot of parents and women, it's what we put in that place so that other people could recognize how important it was to us when really that's just setting a boundary. You it's, know, it's the way we found to get people to respect a boundary, like an easier yes. way to, for someone to respect yes. it when a boundary should just be respected because of the human person setting it. Yeah. 
because that's it's healthy, healthy to have way. boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it's really hard for me to even answer the question, like, what do you do for self-care? Or if you could have some really great self-care next week, what would you do? You know, mm-hmm. and uh, what, like, how would what would you say if you could have self-care next week? What would you do with that time? What would you oh, do like for self-care? Just- anything or like yeah, while working anything. around the kids anything no yeah. oh, i would go to pals <laughs> yes yeah i think <laughs> and that's a buy great option and spend too much money on books i don't need <laughs> i love that <laughs> i would oh what would i do what would i do See? oh this is like liberating even thinking about this because like it says when even you don't attach possible. a chore to it when you don't attach a chore to it it becomes exciting which is what self-care should be it should be energizing i just got real excited oh my gosh no, the things I was thinking were self-care. Even myself doing this, no, were like, for me, well, I think it is a self-care, but with working with my family has been reading. Because mm-hmm. um, sometimes I set aside my family to read for myself because it feels my brain and it feels good. So I feel yes. like I'm doing something productive while also enjoying myself. But that's yeah. just another justification. But if you put it like that and you take all that away, I'm like, I would drive, like before kids, I would drive to go see different like views around here Mm -hmm. because you can just drive a half hour uh east and you have a beautiful view of the gorge and i would just go and i would just like breathe it in or i'd get like jimmy johns and a cookie yes and i would like eat at the viewpoint because it's so beautiful i have really strong opinions about this because Mm -hmm. i I'm not saying that it's not important to have those boundaries, things like going to the grocery store alone or reading to yourself like that is still important. But we can call that. But it's separate. This is. Yeah, this is my time. And that's a boundary. Self-care is like almost going out of your way to take care of yourself. And so going for a drive or going for a hike, going to the bookstore on your own. I love like walking through old like vintage and antique shops. I like if I can spend an hour or two just doing that that is revitalizing for me Mm -hmm. it it needs to be something that's almost like giving us peace and giving us energy it can't be something that is still draining I love that yes let's read that's a great redefinition self-care is something selfish that gives you peace and energy and you, yeah, and you don't have to justify it in any other way, and nor should we have to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's my no. Oh, that was fun. That was good. I felt, <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I, I, yeah, I feel like I got a little heated there because I just No, like, but I love it. All of our parents out there, we'll say this at the end too, but I want to know what you do for self-care that's not simply setting a boundary, which no. is also very healthy. Like if you could do anything for self-care, what would it be? I think we need some yes. ideas here. It's hard what for me to come up with ideas. and energy. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That's like my favorite. That's also not maintenance or a chore. It can't be maintenance or a chore. And we want to celebrate it with you. (laughs) I encourage you. 100% I do. But yeah, love it. Such a fun discussion. That's my no. So what's your no today? Um, Okay, so my no is last week, my no, I talked about reoccurring nightmares. And then I told kind of a story about how one of my reoccurring nightmares (laughs) that I always had as a parent. affected this experience that I had and how after that experience, I never had that nightmare again. And for the details, you're going to have to go back and listen to episode 10. I'm not going to go through it all again. But one of the things that I did um, when I was getting ready last week is I wrote down some reoccurring dreams that people have and what they mean. And so I want to take a minute now. So this is almost like part two of last time. I want to take a minute and talk about those and kind of read through them and see if they apply to any of us at all. I don't like 
know if I totally believe in same, but I dreams. love it. I, I don't care. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I do too. So okay, so one of them, of course, is being naked in public, and I I have a lot of those where it's like I've forgotten half of my clothes, so I'm like clothed completely from the belly button down or belly button up, but then I get to the grocery store or like to church and realize <laughs> that I'm missing the rest of my clothes. So um, according to this website, it meant that you might feel like a fake or a phony or that you're revealing your imperfections so <laughs> like i said i think it's interesting that people will make those connections but i don't know why my brain does it to me it may be because of that might be because something else um the teeth falling out like you said you have um and nora said that she has that one pretty regularly too i've never had this dream but it this website says that it can be connected with being concerned about losing your physical appearance like about getting older <laughs> that's i believe that because it's definitely come to more of a head as i've hit 30 as i've had kids and my body is just yeah. started drooping i think that's like the <laughs> most accurate depiction you know i just remembered another reoccurring dream i've i've had um is yeah i forget that i have um, like I'm back in school and I forget that I have yes. a class and I stop yeah. going to it and I fail it. Um, and they say yep. that that's often like what people who did well in school, like bad dreams, they <laughs> nightmares. They <laughs> <laughs> I always have a dream where it's like I forgot to go to it for an entire semester, but then that's I have to happened. go to the final. That's what and happens. Take the to, test. Oh, see, I don't yep. have the final, but I have like was it on a Tuesday or a Thursday? And then I just stopped going. And it's usually like a science class or a math class that I struggled with. So I also falling is a big one. I couldn't find a good reason for that. Um, flying. I, I used to have a lot of flying dreams, except in They're my fun. flying dreams, it was like I still had to flap my arms like I they were wings. <laughs> and then I would fly. I don't know if that's <laughs> normal or not. But yeah, in my dreams. <laughs> Mm. Okay, I have to tell another story. I just remembered this. Okay, lucid dreaming is where you become aware of where, if you don't know this, are you aware? Where you become aware of that you're dreaming and so you can control your dreams. Well, I was really interested in this in my early 20s. And so I looked into it and I, and how to teach yourself to lucid dream. And I learned how. And (gasps) so... Um, so what happened was, was one of the things was like, tell yourself, like, I want to remember my dreams. The first thing is you have to be able to remember your dreams in order to be aware of them. And then the other is, is like, when you realize you're dreaming, one thing is you can look at clocks, clocks are never consistent, things like that. And so I started being able to control. Isn't there something with your hands too? I think so. I don't remember what it is. It's been long enough. Okay. Continue. I was started being able to control my dreams and but the first time I was able to do it, as I remember, it was in our town where we, we both grew up and where Natalie uh-huh. now lives. Uh, and there was a cabin and it's like a popular cabin anyways. And a man, you know, he wanted to hurt me. And then um, I realized I was dreaming because I got so scared. Like, I think extreme emotions can trigger you into yeah. recognizing that you're dreaming. And so I remember I was like, wait. I'm dreaming. You can't hurt me. And I can fly, which is like one of my favorite things. But when you can listen, dream, you can fly. And it's so fun. So I float up. I float up and then I'm like cross. Like I have my legs like in front of me. I'm just floating and I flick them off. I mean, I give him a rude gesture. I'm like, I'm dreaming. You can't hurt me. It was the best dream I've ever had. It was so liberating. It was amazing. Um, And then I had a couple more where, and I was always like flying. 
Anyway, but one time, I don't know if this was a dream or reality because I had been practicing. All right, because I don't know if this is a dream or reality because I was I've been lucid lucid dreaming, but I had a dream. I was dreaming and I recognized I was dreaming, and then like I. It was such a good dream (laughs) that I wanted to stay in it, but I knew I was dreaming. So I was like almost waking up and I could like feel the battle. And then (gasps) I can't tell if I was dreaming or not, but I dreamt or actually had a seizure. (gasps) Yeah. I don't know if it was real or a dream, but ever since then, I won't go back to lucid dreaming because it scares me. But I was like lying in bed and I remember like seizing that's but I don't so know if weird. I was dreaming it, but I remember trying oh. not to wake up because I wanted to stay in the dream because it was so great. That would be or if it because, you know, when you're in um, what state of sleep is it where your body is literally um, REM? And REM. so your body is um, what is the word for it? You can't move. Oh, paralyzed. paralyzed. <gasps> so it could have been like you come because REM is when you dream. Because I couldn't. So move. if you're coming. Yeah. So if you're coming out of REM, your REM cycle, your body could have still been in that like paralyzed state, but your brain could have been somewhere in between. You know, that could have been it, too. This is fascinating. Okay, continue. Another one is feeling lost, uh, which I do get that every so often where I like can't find my way. Um, And that says that you might be you might feel abandoned in some way. (laughs) And then the other major one that I have as a reoccurring dream is like where I can't open my eyes or I can't see very well. And I might be driving or I might be like there's an emergency and I'm trying to do something, but I all like I'll try and open my eyes and all I see is black. And this the site that I found says that that means that you are refusing to see something that's right in front of you. So it's like (laughs) there's something going on in your life that you're in denial about so dreams are fascinating i know we i think as far as they've come scientifically they can only technically prove that there are some way of like categorizing and organizing memory and that's why Hmm. i don't remember anything from evie's first year because i never slept (laughs) (laughs) oh that would make sense that's my understanding i have heard that though yeah but other than that but i I don't care because i find it fascinating (laughs) and i do like i've heard the falling teeth falling out one is like you feel like you're out of control or you don't have control in your life i mean a lot of them do make a lot of sense especially the recurring ones i think that that are common Mm -hmm. with other people all right yeah so that's some of the dreams that i looked up um i didn't reach a ton but there were a lot of them that seemed like they were really popular with a lot of people so i just thought that was really interesting all right sarah um what is your hello okay my hello is something that's always fascinated me it's child psychology experiments mm-hmm. different uh, experiments they've done on like childhood development over the years and these are mm-hmm. the most i guess maybe influential or well noted that um i've heard of some i've heard of most of them but i didn't remember until like i researched them super interesting um the first one is the still face experiment and so this uh, the information I found is from the Gottman Institute. Um, the Gottmans are actually um, from Washington State, and uh, they do a lot of like couples, relationship stuff. They're really well known for like their love 
like factory stuff and they oh, found some very specific love like what what makes relationship works like they're known for like the five horsemen of like what ends a marriage and it's like contempt oh interesting but this is from their website and it's talking about the still face experiment and it was done in 1975 by an edward tronic mm-hmm. and so what it was it's i watched the video of this and it's absolutely heartbreaking and what happens basically they had a mom and an, like a young infant probably eight months so interacting you know um mm-hmm. like s- kind of sitting up pretty well uh at that stage and the mom would like do her normal interactions and smile with the baby and then all of a sudden she's told to put on a still face and not react at all to the baby and it's it gave me goosebumps it was just sad Oof. and uh, um and when she when the the all the moms go still face the babies like are first confused and then they start like reaching out and then they get really really upset and the idea oh. i know oh it's so sad the idea is kind of to try to show um like how much our interactions with our babies really matter and what's mm-hmm. um really interesting about this is that it's one of the most replicated experiments ever done so i i guess mm-hmm. that means that it's pretty uh, dependable like this this like the results have been the same across the board and mm-hmm. it, it kind of has shown um i found this really interesting because it's shown how like it's kind of like the positive pairing approach is what i try to apply which is like um and then according to this article this is what it is basically is be aware of your child's mm-hmm. emotion recognize your child's expression of emotion as an opportunity for teaching and intimacy listen with empathy empathy and validate your child's feelings help your child learn to labor label their emotions with words set limits when you are helping your child to solve problems or deal with upsetting situations appropriately mm-hmm. and that all came from the still face experiment so i just thought that was super fascinating uh also going back to how we're models for our kids just just our facial expressions and like just yeah. just i guess vibing so to say with our kids yeah how much it matters um another thing they say about the still face experiment is that it can show the negative effects of um, a parent or primary caregiver having depression with their kids but I don't necessarily agree with that because, I mean, I mean, depression manifests in so many different ways. And yes. as a parent who had postpartum depression, I went way out of my way to interact and be positive appear and appear otherwise. otherwise. Yeah. yeah. And then I would just collapse at the end of the day. Um, like, I re- even yeah. remember my husband, Ben, being like, I thought you were OK today. You seem so happy. And it's like. I was fighting, man. Mm. I was I was like playing that role. Yeah. Like I was just trying really hard for my baby, you know. That's the still face experiment. Really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, this one is fascinating to me because we did this in my second grade class. <gasps> really? Are you ready? Yeah. So it's the a class yes. divided experiment. It was by uh-huh. anti-racist educator Jane Elliott. It's her famous experiment done. Um, it was like in 1969 because it was inspired by the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Ooh, and she okay. so this you'll have heard of it, I'm sure, once I tell you. Um, so Jane Elliott divided her third grade class into two separate groups, blue eyed students and brown eyed students. On the first day, she labeled the blue-eyed group as the superior group, and from that point forward, they had extra privileges, leaving the brown-eyed children to represent the minority group. Um, this is from the website um, online225.psych.edu, or what, it must be like okay. Wisconsin University. Um, just want to make sure I cite that. So what this exercise ended up showing was that the children's 
behavior changed almost instantaneously. The group of blue-eyed students performed better academically and even began bullying their brown-eyed classmates. The brown-eyed group experienced lower self-confidence and worse academic performance. The next day, she reversed the roles of the two groups and the blue-eyed students became the minority group. At the end of the experiment, mm-hmm. the children were so relieved that they were reported to have embraced one another and agreed that people should not be judged based on outward appearances. This exercise has been repeated many times with similar outcomes. And in second grade, they the, our teacher did this with us. I, I think she like gave us wow. stickers. It wasn't like blue-eyed, brown-eyed or something yeah. like that. Um, and all I remember was that I was like, well, it's just a day. It'll be over tomorrow. So I don't, I wasn't uh-huh. like the best example, but I do remember some kids <laughs> getting really upset. Like one, two girls were really close and they were put in two different groups mm-hmm. and they weren't allowed to talk. We weren't allowed to talk to them. Like we weren't allowed oh, to talk to the other group. Interesting. Um, yeah. So I think cause Ava's in second grade and I can imagine her getting pretty emotional about that, especially if she was in the minority group, you know, yeah. if, um, it's so unfair and any unjust. Of my kids. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so that would be so hard, but um, clearly effective. Yeah. So the next one is the Nature versus Nurture Bobo the Doll experiment. This is from the same website. Do you remember this one? Heard of this one. So this is uh, in the 1960s. A lot of these are older because they didn't have the like ethical rules they do now. So some of these like really, I mean, messed up kids this is probably possibly one of them so in this study participants were separated into three groups one was exposed to a video of an adult showing aggressive behavior towards a bobo doll and it looks like this weird it's like this blow up like figure and it like you can hit it i mean it's like the yeah they still do them but they're not they don't look like people anymore it's just like one of those punching things where you blow it up and then it bounces and and it's like weighted on the bottom yeah exactly yeah and so you hit it and it bounces back a group one group was exposed to a video of an adult showing aggressive behavior towards the bobo doll another was Mm -hmm. exposed to a video of a passive adult playing with the bobo doll and the third was the control group so children watched their signed video, and then they were sent in the room with the same doll they had seen in that video. And then what was found was mm-hmm. that children exposed to the aggressive model were more likely to exhibit gr- aggressive behavior towards the doll, and mm-hmm. those uh, with the passive were more gentle. And then it, what, mm-hmm. a really interesting finding was they found that boys, when exposed to aggressive male models, um, exhibited even more aggression than when exposed to mm. a female, uh, like aggressive model, which like for the first time showed that like gender might have an effect on how the mm. influence you have. Do you remember there was an artist at the Lubeznik Center that did a installation based on that? Um, I didn't know that. I don't remember that. Yeah. So he had one of those old school Bobo dolls or whatever they're called. And then he created this machine that would had it, it had like a punching hand on the end and it would punch the thing, the oh, Bobo doll over and over again. And the Bobo doll would, of course, come back up. Oh, and so then good. part of it was a screen. And they showed he showed original clips oh, I do from remember the that. experiment. Yeah. yeah, it was really interesting. I think that's the first time I had ever heard of that. But um, yeah, that one is so just how, like you, like again, modeling your behavior just for your children, how, and yeah, how much they yeah. take everything you do, and so the things they learn from them are interesting, but it's almost like I don't want to know how they got it? there, yeah. which is also not healthy. Yeah. Um, no, totally. All right. So my 
<laughs> my hello is um, just that we spent a lot of time single-handedly bringing the economy back this last <laughs> week. With we got our um, stimulus checks in and we did some responsible things with them. <laughs> Medical bills that whatever. Nick is really um, he's he loves following politics. He is really on top of it. And so he keeps saying, you know, part of the stimulus working is that you put the money back into the economy because that's how we keep it afloat. So I was like, cool, I'm going to take this as a personal challenge then. <laughs> so, no, not really. But um, it do, it did feel like it a little bit. But um, so one of the things I did was... Uh, if you insist. Yeah, if you insist. Um, one of the things I did was I went to the mall near us. We have an outlet mall that's wonderful. It has a lot of children, like an Old Navy, Carter's, yeah. Gap. Um, a lot of... Yes, a lot of really good stuff. And so I went out there because th my kids have grown like weeds. <laughs> they will not stop growing, especially I feel like once or twice a year, Harrison and Ava get super tall out of nowhere. It's like they'll grow an <laughs> inch or two. They've and done then studies on this and anymore. they are literal spurts. Like they they've That's measured what, babies yes. for like a measure an amount of time and like literally overnight they will grow two or three inches. It's crazy. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. So we needed some clothes. But I have four kids and Henry is exactly one size behind Harrison. So um <laughs> so <kid>. Henry gets <laughs> hand me downs. Yeah, which also means that he does not get a lot of new clothes. So I always try and find something special for him. Yeah. This time it was an eight dollar Pokemon backpack Perfect. that I found at Old Navy and he was totally happy with it. His other one, the strap on it broke and we had tied it and we were like, you're fine. <laughs> and so <laughs> it was time. But um but Ava, we used to get a ton of hand-me-downs from a very wonderful person. Um, but Ava is so tall for her age that she has, like, outgrown. And we still do get some hand-me-downs. But a lot of our hand-me-downs are, like, um, really great, like, church or, mm -hmm. um, like, outfits for that kind of thing. And we need a lot of, like, school stuff. Part of this is just me complaining about how expensive it is to buy clothes for and your kids. And as they get older, their clothes went, get more expensive. Yes. So yeah, expensive. exactly. Because I could go to a yeah, second, and, like a hand-me-down shop and find like a bunch of stuff mm -hmm. for like five bucks a piece and less, two bucks, yeah. whatever. But um, when we yeah. have to shop for like our nieces and nephews, I'm like, I can get them one sweater. <laughs> exactly. That's the, well, Ava does not like to wear jeans and leggings. You can't really buy secondhand because they just, there's holes in the knees and they get yeah. dirty so easily. I mean, I'm. I, it's frustrating because I went to the outlet mall where everything is the idea of an outlet mall is that everything is kind of already on sale. You know, you don't buy things at full price. So everything's on sale. And then I usually only buy stuff that's like extra on sale or from clearance. Mm -hmm. um, but with four kids, I, I spent the day out there. Nick needed some work pants. I got a pair of jeans. Yes, I felt like I spent so much money, probably just because I never spend money on clothes. So like one day going to four different stores, I was like, who is this woman? <laughs> so <laughs> I love spending money on clothes, but it's just not part of our life most of the time. Yeah. And um, and so I felt like I came home with all of these bags. I felt like Santa Claus because I, you know, like all this new stuff for everyone. And then after dinner, we almost did like the old school um like runway show oh, I style did that all the time. where I 
for my dad. Yes. So we all sat in a circle oh. around the table and I took things out one at a time and I was like, and for Ava, a pink pair of shorts. That is so <laughs> And fun. then we'd all How kind cute. of like, ooh, and it was really fun. But there, when I got it all out, I realized that like, there was barely anything there for each person individually, you know, because what bought, you buy for six people in my family. Yeah, and so it so, felt like so much. And you're like, oh, yes. that's like half a wardrobe. Yes, it was barely anything. So it was just um, it was it was like emotionally exhausting because I, I felt like we I, I did great. They all have these new clothes. Harrison is he's just he's so playful. He puts holes in his knees. It takes him one day, it one wear, and he will put holes in knees, which makes me so upset sometimes. Um, but it's so like he, how how do you, how is it possible that? And it's and it's never in like sweatpants that I buy him. It's always in like nice khakis or you know things like that. Like, um, yeah. And so it was just one. Of, and yeah, poor Henry. He got I I got him one T shirt just so that he would have. An article of clothing, but the backpack, I think, was the big win for him. He was really excited about that. I just I just want to complain about how expensive clothes are for kids and how hard it is. It's easier for me to like um, justify buying boys clothes because we'll get three wears. Three people will wear them. Harrison, I buy clothes for Harrison. Henry will wear them and then Charlie will wear them. But for Ava, it's a lot harder because Ava's the only one. And thank goodness I have four nieces on my side of the family who are all smaller than Ava and younger than Ava. So we just take tubs of clothes and we separate them and everybody gets get stuff so um, that's amazing yeah so we're we're doing our part with the hand-me-downs um but it's just it's so hard when (laughs) you gotta go in and buy new clothes for ava they get a ton of clothes for christmas every year because then i can you know it's like expensive but then i get to wrap it revamp my uh wardrobes like yeah i just you know, hope for clothes. Yes. <laughs> that I like. That fit. And then <laughs> one of our other tricks is we because the boys put holes in all of their knees. I cut I will cut anything off and make it shorts. <laughs> it does not matter what it's like. <laughs> we have we have old Santa pajamas that are now summer That's pajamas because I cut though. them off all into shorts. Um sweatpants will do it with jeans, <gasps> khakis. It does not matter if there's holes in I the am knees. I'm totally stealing this. They chop look it totally to shorts. fine. If yes. you, I mean on kids. Yeah. The you other can even trick, do tights or leggings and stuff, probably. Uh, yeah, we do it with so with Ava's we turn them into bicycle shorts and so she wears them under yeah. her dresses, you know. Um oh, the perfect. other yeah, the other trick is we tie dye anything that has a stain. So if it has a stain but it still fits, but like we can't you can't wear that to school because there's a big stain on it. Uh we'll we'll get some tie dye and Genius. then and we'll do a big day of tie dye and we make it last like that. So that's one of our I don't know, that's one of our things. I also Whoa, whoa, whoa. You just total double whammied motherhood right there. Like, <laughs> yeah. okay, saving money, reusing clothes, family fun activity. Yeah. Well, because one of the fun threat. the kids when when you have a t shirt that has like a screen print on it and you tie dye it the screen print for the most part unless it's pretty cheaply done the screen print will not change color but the shirt will so this print still yeah. comes out so we have a fire it's like a um it has a fire truck on it and the truck is not tie-dyed at all it comes out the exact same way as it went oh, in that's perfect but all of the fabric around it is tie-dyed and we've gotten two extra cool. year yeah two extra years like of use out of it fire truck of, yeah exactly oh and with easter coming up we usually like everyone 
not everyone does this, but um, when we have the ability to, I love to have matching outfits for Easter, even if it's just a color scheme, because I am that mom and we are that family. (laughs) And And I love you all the more for it. (laughs) So this year, our color scheme is yellow. If anyone out there sees us on Easter, we'll be in yellow. So, um, yeah, I kind of want to steal that, except that we're doing nothing for Easter. We might get some eggs to hide. Get dressed up if it makes you feel better. You know, if it makes you feel like you're doing something that day. I do have that new purple top. (gasps) You do. Yes. We got dressed up for Easter last year just to take pictures and eat lunch, just so it would still feel like a special day instead of a monotonous day that was the same as all of the other ones. There'd be candy. Uh, Like, I enjoy shopping for the kids, but then I just, yeah, it's expensive. And it's just like every two seconds I'm looking in the drawer of Franklin's clothes I'm like none of these fit and I just bought it's... these and he's in 12 month clothes already and he's already outgrowing everything I don't especially know. at that age it's just every three months they change clothes for two years yeah. this is my encouragement to all of the moms and parents out there give your hand-me-downs to someone that you love because yes. it is such a world of difference well that's our episode so fun as we wrap up today we want to hear from you email us at lumpymotherpodcast at gmail.com and tell us what are you going to do to give yourself peace and energy that is a little bit selfish. We're not going to call it self-care because it's been defiled. (laughs) (laughs) No, we just want to we want to put a new brand on self-care. So what are you going to do with? Yeah. What are you going to do with real self-care? What are your favorite ways to have real self-care? Yeah, we're rebranding. I love this. We are. (laughs) We're rebranding self-care, guys. All on our own. Come along with us. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, let us know. We love to hear from you. And maybe we'll read what you have to say during the next episode. Yeah. Um, and if you liked what you heard today or in any of the episodes before this, there are a few really important things that you can do to help others find us. Um, and we appreciate these things so much. They're free. They're fast. It's easy. Um, make sure that you hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcast and then rate and review us. But most importantly, word of mouth is huge, especially when it comes mm-hmm. to podcasts. Um, so share us with someone else that you think might enjoy our show. We appreciate it more than yes. we can say. So much. Thank you for all who have shared, for all who just listen. Yeah. We really appreciate it. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Lumpy Mother Podcast. And on Twitter, we are at, Lump- we are at Lumpy Mother Pod One. And we cannot wait to be with you next Tuesday. Join us to see what motherhood has in store for our lives and yours. Bye.